The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, let me ask you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 3. We'll be there this, this morning. Actually, in um, 3 carrying over into 4 for a little bit. Um, I'm going to read a passage today, but uh, we won't get all the way through that. The, uh, the beautiful thing about God's Word is it is enduring uh, it will last, and, uh, and if it has to carry over with not a natural break from one Sunday to the next, that's okay. And so that's what we're going to do today. Uh, as you're turning there, Exodus chapter 3, uh, I just want to say a word about one of the things we preach here over and over and all the time is that our lives should be given to the glory of God among the nations. Well, sometimes the nations are literally around the world. Other times the nations are right here in our backyard or across um, uh, just a few miles down the road. Well, uh, I'm always thrilled to come to you and report how one of our own has decided to take this up and is, and is going and is actually going to obey um, what's commanded to us in Scripture. And I just want to communicate that to you today. Terry Layton is one of our own. Terry's been um, with us for a number of years, really kind of probably was raised here uh, at Abner Creek. Uh, Ruby's son, and uh, he's been with us back here for a while now. But Terry is, is going out, leaving as of today, uh, to help a church in Spartanburg start a process whereby they can more efficiently make disciples. He's been working with us here on that, and a church uh, in Spartanburg has asked him to come and to take part in that, and that's exactly what he's, what he's going to do. And so I didn't want you to, a month down the road, say, you know, where's Terry Layton? I haven't seen him in a while. Well, it's because Terry's going out to make disciples. Terry's membership's going to remain here, uh, but he's going to be serving a church in Spartanburg for, um, for an indefinite amount of time to make disciples and help them make disciples there, to work with that pastor there. So I wanted to tell you that so that you can pray for Terry, that we can partner with him. We're still going to be Terry's home church but we want to be his sending church, and we want to be partnering with him uh, as he's there. He'll still be here from time to time, I'm sure, but uh, just, if you will, celebrate with us as we kind of send out another one. You saw another one on the video. Donald Thomas used to be here, gone, uh, serving across the way uh, in Simpsonville as a youth minister. There are others that have left out from us to go and serve here and there, and that's not just in the recent years. That's been going on for a long time, and I'm thankful to pastor a church that believes in that mission. Amen? Amen. Well, Exodus 3 is where we'll be today, and today we're going to continue this look at God calling Moses to the mission of being the Redeemer, the Deliverer of the children of Israel out of Egypt. And uh, today we're going to look at that when God calls a man, he answers his excuses. When God calls a man, he answers his excuses. And when I read this passage, Moses is going to ask Five questions. And those five questions seem innocent enough, but in reality, they are Moses pushing back against God's call in his life and giving God excuse after excuse after excuse. And uh, we'll find some familiarity with those. We share some things in common because they're probably excuses that we have also given, and uh, we need to hear the answers here as well. I did a little research, and I Googled online uh, and found that in 2014, there was a list compiled of, uh, of the most unbelievable excuses to get out of work. You want to hear these? 
Okay, six of them. I'm not going to give you all ten of these because some of them I could not, uh, could not share in this context. Okay, so I want to give you six of the top ten 2014 excuses to not show up at work. Number one, I just put a casserole in the oven. I, I guess <coughs> I'm not feeling well. Just had been overused, I guess. I don't know. Uh, number two, I was at the casino all weekend and still had money left on Monday. So that's an interesting one. Number three, I woke up in a good mood and didn't want to ruin it. That's my favorite right there. I like that. Number four, I got stuck in the blood pressure machine at the grocery store and just couldn't get out. Number five, I set my uniform on fire by putting it in the microwave to dry. Yeah, if you give that excuse, your boss probably already knows. <laughs> yep. And then, number six, I accidentally got on a plane. <laughs> I don't know how that happens, but anyway. When it comes to getting out of work, whether that's our secular lives or whether that's the work that God has given us to make disciples of all nations, we can get pretty creative in the excuses we give. Moses also gets fairly creative. None may be as comical as these, but uh, I think you'll relate to the ones that he gives. Let's look at this passage together. Exodus 3, beginning in verse 9. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I, God said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If, if I come to, to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go, and I, I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty-handed, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. 
You shall put them on your sons and your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, and they, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, Put your, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the, from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will, put, I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and put the words in and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for, for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Long passage this morning. We will not get even into chapter 4. We're going to look at uh, really two excuses. The first, of, the first two of five excuses that Moses gives to God. This is, sounds funny, uh, really kind of when we, when we step back and we think about it, because we have the luxury of looking at this from what happens after this. But we have to remember that Moses is in the moment, and Moses has not seen the plagues yet, and Moses has not seen the, the, the Red Sea stand up and make dry ground. He's not seen any of this yet, and so at this point, he's looking more at himself and less at God, and he offers excuses. So I want to give you these two excuses that God gives, or that Moses gives to God this morning, and then show you the answers that God gives in return. Number one, I've failed in the past. You see, what Moses is being called to do is he's being called to go and speak a message to a particular people and particularly to a, to a Pharaoh, to a king of the most powerful nation in the land, in the world at the time, and he doesn't believe he can do it. And I would remind you as we look at all of these excuses and the answers that God gives, we also have been given a, a message to take to those who are in oppression. We've been given the gospel, and, and we've been given this message to go and take and to trust God with the results. 
But we, like Moses, will give these same excuses. And Moses' first excuse is, God, I'm too much of a failure. I failed in the past. That's what he says here when, when Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? See, what Moses is, is thinking, it sounds to us like he's being humble. Oh, God, sovereign God, holy God, I've taken my shoes off because I'm in the presence of your holiness. Who am I to go for you? It sounds humble enough. It sounds as if Moses does not want to rob the, God, God, the glory of God. But the reality is, I want you to look at the personal pronouns that Moses uses. Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? See, Moses' focus is not necessarily on God's glory and his holiness. Moses really at this point is focused on himself. And in particular, he's looking at his past. We really can't blame Moses. Because up till now, all we've seen of Moses is, while he may have known he was to be some sort of deliverer, as soon as he tried to take that on in his own strength, it cost him dearly. He murdered an Egyptian. And the next day, when he tried to settle a dispute between two of his fellow Israelites, they rejected his leadership. And he ran. He ran away, and he became a fugitive on the run, in hiding. And he spent the last 40 years of his life leading sheep in the wilderness. Moses, when God comes to him in this burning bush, up till this point has been, I've heard the cry of my people, and I will bring them out, and I will deliver them into the land. And up to that point, Moses had only been this passive listener. It must have been an amazing thing to stand there in bare feet, bare feet and look at this bush that would not burn. Oh, it's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And to hear God speak from the midst of it and tell him his plan of all that he was going to do. And Moses, at this point, must have been saying, Amen. But suddenly, in verse 10, it all changes. In verse 10, God said to Moses, I'm going to send you. And it became personal. And Moses thinks, God, you don't understand. I'm too much of a failure. I've really just made a mess of my life. Who am I to take on such a big mission? I can't pull this off. They'll, they'll never believe me. They'll never follow me because all they know of me is I'm a murderer and I'm a wanted man. See, some of us have made messes of our lives as well. We failed so miserably that now all we can do is when God says to us, go and tell, go and make disciples, and we hear pastors stand and preach that we should go to the people that we work with and that we live around and that we live even in the same house with our own families and that we should share the gospel and make disciples, we look at our lives and we say, oh, who am I to share that message? I can't do that. I've made too much of a mess of my life. Let me just ask you a question. Which speaks louder? For someone to hear you say and preach about forgiveness, if you've, they've never witnessed you needing forgiveness, or if they hear you talk about the forgiveness that you have received time and time and time again. 
See, I've got to be careful here because I'm not telling you, go out and fail miserably and, and sin all you want so that God's grace may abound and that you may become this powerful witness of the recipient, of, of the, of a, be a recipient of the forgiveness and the grace of God. I'm not telling you to go make a mess of your life, but I am telling you that you and I need to stop hiding behind our past thinking that somehow it disqualifies us. Because the reality is, every single one of us in this room, every single believer who ever receives forgiveness does so because we've all messed up. We've all failed. We've all made mistakes. And we will all continue to make mistakes. And daily, we are dependent on the forgiveness that comes through Christ. And when you and I, as broken vessels, stand and say, there is one that can make you whole. It brings a clarity and an integrity that can't come any other way. I've often feared that one day God would call me back to my hometown to serve there, to be a pastor there, to minister in some way there. Because I know the people that watched me in high school. And they saw the mistakes I made. But if God ever calls me back, what an incredible opportunity to make much of Him. Look at the answers that God gives. God here answers Moses in verse 12, and He doesn't reprimand Moses right away. God said, or Moses said, Who am I? Look at my past, God. Who am I? And God doesn't reprimand him. God doesn't correct him. God doesn't chastise him for that type of attitude. Instead, God tells him, I will be with you. What an incredible promise. God's promise, His presence there with Moses meant that God would guide him. That he wouldn't take a step without knowing that God was leading him where he needed to go. That God would guide him. That God would give him the power to, to take on this task. I mean, how fearful Moses must have been to go back to Pharaoh. Even though it's not the Pharaoh who wanted his life, that Pharaoh is now dead. But it's a new Pharaoh, and it's the same nation. He must have been afraid. There's no way I can do this. I don't have the strength to do this. I remember when one of the, one of the reasons that I ran from God's call on my life for so long is because not just because I had seen all that went on on the inside of the church, but also because I had this terrible fear of getting up in front of people and speaking. I used to think, I could never do that. I, I would get so tongue-tied, I wouldn't know what to say. But I have seen through the years, there have been times when I've preached sermons that, and, and maybe this is one of them, I hope it's not, that I've had to bring in for an early landing, you know, because it was just stinking and the plane was going down. You know, there was engine failure and I just needed to kind of bring this thing in, right? But there so many times I've never seen God leave me abandoned. And for Moses, when God here says, Moses, I will be with you. What he's saying to Moses is, Moses, there's nothing that you need to fear. If I'm with you, then what are you going to fear? I will guide you. I will give you what you need to, to pull this off. I will protect you. Think back to your childhood. Maybe, maybe you didn't have the best relationship with your dad, but for most of us, things would go bump in the middle of the night. You'd have a bad dream or whatever. Did it always make you feel better when your dad would show up? Or your mom would come into the room. This is what God is saying here. Moses, I will be with you. God also answers Moses and he said, um, 
in, in saying this, I will be with you. It's the same thing that he was saying to servants that he'd called all throughout the Old Testament. To Joshua, he also said, I will be with you as I was with Moses. To Gideon, he said, I am, am I not the one sending you? I will also be with you. To Isaiah, when, when Isaiah saw the glory of God there and saw the train of his robe filling the temple, and Isaiah's response was, Whoa, I'm a man of unclean lips. I have, I have no right to, uh, to, to answer this call. In some ways, he responds in the same way that Moses does. Who am I? And there in the throne room in Isaiah 6, God sends those angels, those seraphs that are flying around the throne and sends them over to the altar and they take with tongs the hot coal and they touch the lips of, of, of Isaiah. See, it's not the life of a man or a woman that God calls that qualifies them to serve God. Instead, God himself is also doing the qualifying. God is doing everything. He's, he's with Moses. He's with Joshua. He's with Gideon, with Isaiah. He was with Jeremiah. To Jeremiah, God said, don't be afraid of them, for I am with you. To every saint, to every Christian, here's the great promise. In the Old Testament, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, whoever else you want to name, God's promise to them was, I am with you. The difference now, believer, is God's not with us. God's in us. God promises, I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus prayed, I will go away so that the Helper may come and He will dwell in you. It's not that we come in and out of the presence of God and sometimes He's there to guide us and other times we're on our own. The Bible teaches that the Spirit lives inside every believer and guides and empowers and protects and leads us into all truth and teaches us what to say. If you're worried about your life and how you've messed things up and you've ruined your testimony, get over it. Stop hiding behind it as an excuse. God says, as I was with Moses, I will be in you. He also tells Moses, not only I will be with you, but subtly, and if we would, we would run right past it if we weren't really watching, there at the end of verse 12, he said to Moses, Moses, it's not you they're going to be worshiping in the end anyway. He said, Here, here's the sign for you, Moses. When you lead them out, you're going to wind up right back here at this mountain, and at this mountain you will serve me. The word serve there is the word that means to worship. What, what God is saying to Moses is, look, Moses, I'm not going to give you a sign ahead of time that will validate this so that you can now trust me and go. You're going to have to trust me and go, but I'm telling you that if, if you trust me and you go, you're going to wind up right back here, and you're going to be worshiping me. See, Moses was worried what they would think of him Oh, but my past disqualifies me. I killed an Egyptian. They rejected my leadership. I ran. I've hid for so long. And God said, Moses, it's not your life that will save them. When they come out of Egypt, they're going to wind up right back here. And they're not going to be building shrines to you, Moses. They're going to be worshiping me. See, part of the 
Part of what happens when you and I offer the excuse to God, God, but my past, we think that it's us that they must receive before they can receive God. So who are we really trying to make much of? The goal of our going is not so that they would think much of us, but to think much of Him. Peter ends in his commentary wrote, Moses' assertion that he cannot do this task is correct, but it's entirely beside the point. He's not doing the saving. Moses says, I cannot do this. Yahweh responds, you're not. I am. Too many times we get caught up in our own ability to, to uphold the Word of God, and they'll receive us or reject us based on our merit. Too many times we get caught up in, in some cult of personality and we follow some preacher or pastor. In reality, we're missing out on seeing Him and making much of Him. Child of God, I would tell you today that you have as much a call on your life as Moses did. You may not be going to a nation of slaves in Egypt, but you are going to a nation of slaves just the same. There are people that live all around us in our community and beyond that are in bondage and in slavery to sin and death and hell and the wrath of God. And we have been given the message that will free them. The message is Christ came to die so that you wouldn't have to suffer the wrath for your sin. He can bring forgiveness to you. Stop feeling like they've got to first see this magic in you before they can receive the grace from Him. Excuse number one. Excuse number two today in our text is this. Moses says, but God, I don't know enough. And how many of us, when it comes to sharing our faith, have said, I don't want to enter into a, to a conversation where I'll get myself in over my head and they'll ask a question that I don't know the answer to and I'll make the gospel foolish and I'll make the Bible look bad and, and all of Christianity kind of it rests on me at this point. And so I don't, I don't want to get into that. This is what Moses is saying here when he said, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what's his name? What should I tell them? Moses is worried here in this culture that he's not going to have the answer. Can I give you a piece of advice? You will never know all the answers. You will never know all the answers. And so if you wait until you know enough, guess when you'll share your faith? Never. You never will. I've heard, I've heard young married people say, well, we're not ready to start a family yet. We want to wait until we can afford it. All those who have children and grandchildren say, you will never be ready, right? You're never going to be able to afford them. And Makai's getting ready to turn 16. I didn't know humans could eat that much. I mean, he's, you know, I mean, getting stronger, but he's skinny as a rail at one time, my metabolism was like that, too. I keep trying to tell him. But we go to a restaurant, and what used to call us, cost us 25 30 bucks, it's like 50 bucks now. He eats more than I do. You will never be ready to afford children 
And if you wait until you are, you're never going to have kids. And the same is true here. If you wait until you know enough to share your faith, you'll never share your faith. So stop hiding behind this excuse. I don't know enough, God. And this is not an excuse for us to say ignorance is bliss. But this can no longer be an excuse. Moses here is living. He's talking about Egypt. And in this culture, it is a polytheistic, pantheistic, syncretistic culture. Let me just explain to you a little bit of what what that means. Polytheistic, this is a culture where there are multiple gods. I mean, there are gods everywhere. And people can invent their own gods. Not only that, but it's, it's a pantheistic culture, meaning that gods show up in nature. The most valuable resource in Egypt still to this day is the Nile River. Well, the Nile was considered to be a god. And if you looked all around nature, all of this stuff in nature, it was a god. Syncretistic means that, that all of these gods, whether they were invented by somebody in their living room or whether it was talking about the Nile or, or when Moses comes and he talks about the God of the Hebrews, that regardless of how they contradict one another in this culture, all of them have validity. No one has the right to say, well, your God's not really right, mine is. In some ways, this sounds like a culture just like ours. There are gods on every corner. You can worship a god in all sorts of things. You have no right to say that none of those, that any of those gods are wrong. Moses here is concerned, and I think rightly so. He wants, when he comes to the Israelites, he's concerned about them, not Pharaoh at this point. When he comes to them, he wants them to know which god came talking to him. We would say, well, this is pretty wise in this culture. He wants to be able to know God's name, to tell them this was not the God of the Nile, this was not the God of this or that. This is the God of the Hebrews. What is your name? God's answer to Moses is basically, if you'll trust me, I'll give you everything you need. Now, I don't have time, we don't have time to go into every, to look at every tree in the forest of the rest of this chapter. We, we, could, we could spend weeks on just this God revealing his name here. So we're not going to do that. We're going to, instead, we're going to back up and we're going to fly over this forest. But I just want you to hear what God responds. God said in verse 14, I am who I am. Some commentators think that God here doesn't even want to dignify Moses' question with a real response. It's as if God is saying, They know who I am. Everybody knows who I am. Everybody would know who I am if they would just just open their eyes and stop suppressing the truth, as Romans tells us. Verse 14, he goes on and he said, "But, but say this to them. I am has sent me to you. God's name for himself there, I am, is just packed full. But if we could sort of boil it down to a simple definition of what God is here saying to them, is he's saying, I exist. I'm the only one who is self-existent. No one made me. No one sustains me. You can't put me in a box. You can't tell me where I can go. I am. Tell them I am sent me to you. In verse 15, God said, 
Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, and the God of, uh, has, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered all throughout generations. Verse 16 and 17, he said, Go and gather all the elders of Israel and say to them, The God, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed your suffering, and I'm going to bring you out. In verses 18 and forward, God said, and when you say that to them, they'll listen to you, and you're to take the elders, and you're going to go to Pharaoh, and you're going to say to Pharaoh, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may serve or worship him. And he goes on from there, and he tells all that's going to happen with Pharaoh and how he's not going, to, not going to believe. He's going to reject this, and God's going to send these plagues. And then in the end, he says, Moses, this is what's going to happen. They're going to send you out, and, and, and those that, that were so oppressive of you, they're even going to put gold and clothing and all sorts of things in your hand as you go. And I'm going to display my power over them. You say, well, what in the world is God saying in this flyover view of this? Well, to Moses' excuse here of, of, I don't know enough, God is saying, Moses, you don't have to know everything. Because if I'm calling you, I'm going to be with you, and not only am I going to be with you, I'm going to give you everything to say. I mean, look at how many times there in chapter 3 does he say, say this, Moses. Say this, Moses. And then when you say this, they're going to do this. And then you say this, Moses. And then when they do this, you're going to gather them together and you're going to go here and he's going to do this. What God is saying to Moses is that Moses, quit trying to figure out the future and having all the answers. You don't have to have all the answers because I've got them all. And I'll show you what to say. And I would tell you today, church, and this is, I'm, I'm about to wrap up, but here's what I'll say to you. In the same way, we can trust God to give us everything we need as well. We can trust God to give us the words in the moment. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10 when they deliver you over, don't be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. When Jesus sent his disciples out, they didn't have all the answers. You think that was a moment of trepidation for them? Absolutely. Uneducated fishermen. We don't, Jesus, we're not ready for this. You don't have to be ready. I'll give you what you need in that hour. The same way God promises that to us today. I can't tell you how many times through the years someone has come to me with a question and I've thought, I have no clue. There have been times when, when I have said, God, they're about to ask me something. I have no idea what they're about to ask me, but God, I feel so inadequate here. God, would you please just help me to maybe recall what I've read in your word or help me to be able to answer them correctly. And, and God would give me what to say. There have been other times when I don't know the answers. And probably some of you have come and asked me questions. What is my response if I don't know the answer? I don't know. Let's study that a little bit. 
Scotty Stone comes to me, and I, I so love it that he does. He comes to me almost every Sunday. Scotty is a faithful Sunday school teacher, and he's my Sunday school teacher, and, and he, I mean, he pours his heart and soul into knowing the text and leading that class, and I'm so thankful for him. And he'll come to me almost every week with a question. And what I have found through the past months and, and, and probably a couple of years is most of the time he already knows the answer. He just wants me to validate it. Either that or he wants somebody to blame. I'm not sure. Like, I don't like this truth, so if they're going to get mad, I want to throw it on you, right? And, and I don't think that's really what Scott's doing, but look, we can trust if the Spirit lives in us and He's called us to go to those who are lost with the Gospel. We can trust that when they come to us with questions that we don't know the answer to, that He's going to provide that answer, or He can allow us to say to that person, that's a great question, and I don't exactly know the answer to that, but would you be willing to take just maybe a Saturday or maybe, maybe a Tuesday night this week, and let's get together for coffee, and let's just study that thing together? Would you be willing to sit down with me in the Word of God, and let's just see if God has spoken on that? And it's amazing what God can do. Now, here's the reality. It does not mean that we should just say, okay, doesn't matter what I know. I'll just be ignorant. And I'll just always say, I don't know. Let's study that. What it, what it points to is, though, that we ought to be people who want to know what God has spoken. But we can't wait until we know it all to start. So, we start studying the Word. We do everything that we can. But we also start sharing our faith along the way as well. How many of you were brought to faith by a person who shared his witness with you? And I'm so out of time. That didn't know all the answers. Share your faith. Take advantage of the two resources that you have. The Word of God and the Spirit of God. Study to show yourself approved. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God has been breathed out and is useful for teaching and correction and reproof and for training in righteousness. And I probably butchered that verse, but it's true. The Bible tells us the Spirit of God is there to lead us into all truth. Let's take advantage of that and let's begin to share our faith Here's the application out of these first two excuses in God's answers. Stop hiding behind your past. Begin sharing your faith. Share the gospel with the people that are in your life. Trust that God will be with you. Trust that God is worthy of their worship. You see, if, if our motivation is simply, I don't want them to go to hell, that will carry us only so far. But if we begin to see the big picture of our God is infinitely worthy of the worship of all people, that's a different motivation. Number two, don't wait until you know all the answers before you begin to evangelize. If it really bothers you that you don't know all the answers, do something about it. Study. I'm afraid that, that uh, those uninformed voters that Word Radio and Rush Limbaugh talks about, 
I'm afraid we as church members sit back and say, yeah, that's right, those uninformed voters, that's the reason the, the country is going, you know, the direction it's going. I'm afraid the same thing is true for us in the church, that we sit back caring more about being entertained by preachers and by music or maybe things outside of the church altogether, the secular culture. I'm afraid we care more about those things than we do about informing ourselves with the very word of God and then taking that and sharing the gospel with all those who will hear. Stop hiding behind these excuses. Moses is, God's gracious to Moses here. It takes till his fifth question before the Bible tells us that God got angry with Moses. God listens to four excuses. It's not like five was the magic number. But God is gracious here. And with you, he can be gracious. But it should never be an excuse for us to be able to hide and say, well, God will be gracious to me. God understands how I am. God made me. He wired me this way. We're going to look at that next week. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. God, speak to us today. Right where we are, God, I pray. Lord, I, I pray that you would move among your church, the people who are here and the people who are perhaps even listening to this podcast. Lord, and stir within us this desire to make much of you in our neighborhoods and in the nations. God, that we would stop wanting them to see us and think well of us, that we would stop hiding behind the excuses, and God, that we would simply begin to be obedient. Lord, you care more about the lost than we do. You proved that when you sent your son. So God, if you want them saved, God, I pray that we would trust in your ability to do so, that we would understand that you use means and you've called us to be those means. So God, Make us courageous for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you an opportunity to respond, to reflect on what's been said. Maybe some of you need to repent. And I didn't choose that word accidentally. Maybe some of you need to repent for your excuses of not sharing your faith, of not being a great commission Christian, thinking that the mission always belongs to someone else. Maybe you need to repent of that then today you can do so. You can turn to God through the person of Christ today, asking him to forgive you and asking him to empower you to go to that neighbor or go to that friend or go to whoever and to share the gospel with them. Perhaps you're here and today you don't know the Lord at all and you're still in your sin and you need to be forgiven then today I'd love to speak with you. I'll be seated right down here on the front row. love for you to come talk to me. If you need someone to pray with you, I'll be glad to do that. There will be people in the prayer room, out those doors, around to the left. Whatever it is that God is calling you to do, I'm going to ask you to be obedient to Him today. Let's worship God as we respond to our lives. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.